Good morning. My name is Kevin Schoolman. I'm one of the mission group leaders here at Hope, and it is my privilege and my joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. We're continuing in our series as we have for the past several weeks through the book of 1 Peter. And the passage we're looking at today is 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22 and going through chapter 2, verse 3. And I invite you to go ahead and, and turn there in your Bibles. But before I read the passage, I want to start with some famous words of Jesus that relate directly to what we will read today. In his famous encounter with Nicodemus in John 3, Jesus said this to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was kind of confused by this saying, and Jesus went on to explain it to him. And I think that this phrase, born again, still causes some confusion today. It's, after all, a bit of an abstract concept. Jesus, in his explanation, uh, talks about it in terms of water and spirit and wind, all three of which are hard to get a grasp on, both literally and metaphorically. And confusion over this term is evident in the, the very existence of the phrase born-again Christian. This is redundant. It's like saying a married spouse. You, if you are married, you are automatically a spouse, and if you are a spouse, you are autom automatically married. And in the same way, if you are a Christian, you are, by definition, born again. And if you are born again, you are, by definition, a Christian. And so since being born again is, is so essential to our identity in Christ, we ought to try to understand more of its nature and its implications. And that's what the Apostle Peter is doing for us in today's passage. Again, 1 Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 22. Please follow along as I read. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is a bit of a complex passage. On one hand, Peter is continuing his train of thought from verses 12 to 21, which we looked at last week. And as Matt said last week, Peter moves from the indicative of what God has done for us in Christ, as well as the indicative of who we are in Christ. He moves from the indicative to the imperative, what should then be as a result. Remember from last week that there was a call to hope, a command to pursue holiness, and an exhortation to live in reverent fear. And he follows the same pattern in today's passage. X is true, so respond with Y. On the other hand, this passage can stand on its own. And at first glance, I have to be honest with you, it's unclear what Peter's main point is. Because he weaves through the passage several different topics. He talks about obedience, love, rebirth, scripture, some things that are not love, and then he talks about spiritual milk. 
But I think that Peter does have a plan, and he does have a point. And I put it like this as our main point to consider today. New birth calls forth new life. New birth calls forth new life. Now a word about structure of the passage and also about the sermon today. If you look at verses 23 to 25, they are sort of the numerical center of the passage, but it seems to me that they are also the topical center. And I say this because the commands in the first and the last parts of the passage are both connected to what's in the middle. Verses 23 through 25 are the rationale for the commands that are given before in verse 22, and then after in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We see this from the word since in verse 23. And so in 2.1. So instead of a typical, you know, sentence by sentence linear trip through the passage, we're going to start at the center and work our way outward. And as we do this, we will look at one truth and two commands that arise from this truth. First of all, again, starting in the middle at verses 23 to 25, we see the truth is this God's imperishable word gives birth to imperishable life. God's imperishable word gives birth to imperishable life. This is the, again, the indicative, what is. Peter gives the command to love in verse 22. Then in verse 23, he gives the reason. He says this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about being born of the spirit. But we see here that spiritual rebirth also happens through God's Word. The Word is the seed which is implanted in our souls and which brings them to life. And Peter is contrasting this imperishable divine seed to perishable human seed. Perishable seed leads to perishable life. It leads to ordinary flesh which withers and falls like the grass and the flowers, quoting Isaiah 40. In contrast, Peter says, the word of the Lord remains forever, verse 25. And the implication is that since the cause or the source is imperishable, the result is imperishable too. Now being born again leads to new life, not just in the sense that it is a fresh start, although that is very much true. But more, this new life is new in that it is qualitatively different from the old life. It is created and maintained by what Peter calls in verse 23, the living and abiding word of God. It is God's powerful spoken word. It is the revelation of his character, his ways, his decrees. And that has been preserved for us in God's written word, the scripture. Further, it's the good news that was preached to you, as Peter adds at the end of verse 25. It is the incredibly amazing message about Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his resurrection, and what he has accomplished for those of us who believe. I, I think it's clear from this passage that Peter places a very high value on Scripture, and it's implied that we should also. We'll get to that a little bit later. We should also note, as we observe this passage, that this idea of imperishability seems very important to Peter. This, after all, is not his first mention or use of this word. Back in 1 verse 4, he talked about our imperishable inheritance. In 1 7, he talked about gold, which though valuable is perishable, and he contrasts this then to our faith, which by implication is imperishable and much more valuable than gold. 
In 118, he reminds believers that we are ransomed by the imperishable blood of Christ, not by silver or gold. And now in this passage, we see the imperishable life is brought to, to be into being by the imperishable word. Well, why this emphasis on imperishability, Peter? Well, I think it's that Peter knows the things of this world, whether they are bad or whether they are good, the things of this world can absorb our attention. And he's pointing his readers away from temporary things in order to focus on what is eternal. Remember, he opens the letter calling us, calling his readers exiles. He says that we are exiles living in a hostile world that is not our home. This reality was very clear to the original readers of the letter who were persecuted and who were suffering because of their faith in Jesus. This reality is very real and clear to millions of brothers and sisters around the world today who are persecuted and suffering because of their faith in Jesus. And make note, I think, because of the way societal trends are going, this truth of being exiles in a hostile world will, I think, in the years to come, become increasingly clear to us as well as we are persecuted and suffer for the name of Jesus. However, Peter reminds his readers that this suffering, as hard and painful as it is, it will pass. This suffering cannot take away or threaten what will last, which is our imperishable new life in Christ. And this new life is begotten from God's word, his gospel, which will also last. Circumstances will change. Governments will change. Society and its mores will change. But God's will, God's word will endure. His decrees will endure. His promises will endure. And our new life, if we are in Christ, will endure. So, Peter says, focus your time, your energy, your attention on what is imperishable, what is eternal, not on what is perishable. Those who are suffering, Peter says, don't let the despair about the suffering shake your faith in God or his word. And those of, for those of us who are not suffering, who happen to be, by God's grace and blessing, enjoying God's good material gifts in this world, and life is happy, remember, all that stuff will perish also, but your life in Christ will not. Well, I think this is the main thing to take away from at least this section. This, this encouragement is called to a proper focus, but there's a couple other applications that I'd like to briefly put on. I noticed, I, I noted Peter's emphasis on imperishability. And last week, Matt pointed out his emphasis on preciousness. With these two emphasis, I think what, what emphases, I think what he's doing is he is pointing us to the wonderful, glorious, amazing nature of what God has done for his people in Christ. And I hope, as you consider this, that this leads to heartfelt praise. I hope as well that it leads us to repent, if necessary, of a blasé, bored attitude toward our salvation and faith, and instead toward a new excitement and wonder at it. There are also a couple implications for ministry here, I think. Since the word is necessary to rebirth, the word should then have a central role, a primary role, in our efforts at evangelism. 
Later on today, we'll see that the word also sustains and grows spiritual life. So the word should also have a central primary effort in our teaching and discipleship efforts. And then one final application from this point. For any here today who are not yet Christians, the sobering reality that the scripture speaks of is that your life is like grass. It will fade, it will pass away. However, the good news of scripture is that you can be born again into imperishable new life. If that's you today, God's word is calling to you. Will you respond? God's imperishable word gives birth to imperishable life. That's the truth. Now we move to the two commands which arise from that truth. The first, which is point two in that outline, is love each other with pure brotherly sincerity. Love each other with pure brotherly sincerity. Remember, we looked at verses 23 to 25 in the first section, and we're moving outward. We're moving out from the center. So here we're looking at verse, both verses 122 beforehand and 2-1 afterwards. And both of those verses talk about love. Now, before I jump into this directly, I just want to remind us of today's point, main point. New birth calls forth new life. And I chose that phrase, calls forth, intentionally. And there's a double meaning here, which was also intentional. We've seen the first meaning, and that is that new birth creates the reality of new life. Life that is, as Peter says, imperishable. The second meaning of calling forth is that new birth elicits, in fact, demands a new way of life which accords with, that matches the reality of new life. It's like Jesus calling forth Lazarus from the grave. Jesus' power made it possible, and his command demanded a response from Lazarus. We were kind of stupid for Lazarus to say, yeah, I'm going to get chill here for a while, Jesus. Well, we've been talking about imperishability. Well, according to the Bible, you know what else is imperishable? Love. Love for God, love for neighbor is the greatest commandment, Jesus said. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never ends. And it's clear throughout the scripture that, that a defining element of God's character, a defining element of God's life, is love. If we are believers, we are recipients of God's love through the gospel. We are God's children called to family resemblance to our Father. And we are partakers, Peter has told us, in his imperishable life. So it's natural that love for one another, love for one another, should then be the way of new life that springs from the reality of new life. We're commanded to love. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now in verse 23, we saw one reason that, that Peter gives for love. It's our rebirth. And here in verse 22, directly connected to the command, is another reason. He says, we purified our souls in obedience to the truth. He's picking up earlier themes from the letter. He talked about obedience earlier. In 1 verse 2, he said that we had been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ. And obedience to the truth is obedience to the gospel. It's simply faith in Christ. Going along with that obedience back in verse 2 was the sanctification of the Spirit. 
and the sprinkling with, with his blood, which is here expressed as the purification of our souls. So again, he's stating what is their salvation, their faith. But before he gets to what should be, he adds something else. The purification of our souls, Peter says, is for a sincere brotherly love. The NIV is helpful here. It reads, so that, instead of for. So in other words, this is a statement of purpose. A statement of purpose. Now we often think of salvation in terms of how we benefit. And praise God, we absolutely do. But ultimately we have to remember that we were saved for God's purposes. And one of those purposes is that we love other Christians, our brothers and sisters in God's family. And our love is to be sincere, i.e. genuine, real, without hypocrisy. By this sincere brotherly love, we reflect God's character and we give him glory. Now this is not to say that we shouldn't love people outside of God's family. The scripture makes clear plenty of other places that, that we should. But Peter's concern and focus here is on relationships within this new family with whom we share all these imperishables and precious things that he's talked about. He's also setting himself up for what comes in the next passage, which is a discussion of the church as, as, as living stones being built together. And part of that is, is, is loving well, I said the phrase, for a sincere brotherly love can be seen as a statement of purpose. It can also be seen as a statement of result. He's saying this, because our souls have been purified into new life, we are now able to love in the way that Jesus calls us to. He's made it possible. And I find this reminder very, very encouraging, because when I look at my own failures to love, I confess I'm sometimes led to discouragement. And, and hopelessness. Now, I, will I ever change, God? Will I ever build the love of this person the way you call me to? But this kind of love is possible because God has made it possible. So when we fail, we get up, and by God's grace, we try again. So we are called to love, we've seen, and we are empowered to love. However, it's not a foregone conclusion that we actually will love. So Peter adds the command, just in case we're missing the point. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. In other words, since you were saved so you could love, do it. This is a constant theme of the New Testament. You come in practice what you already are by your new nature. Well, how does Peter describe this love? Well, again, it's, it's brotherly love, the word Philadelphia. And this family concept suggests commitment. I would also suggest that brotherly love is characterized by watching out for each other, caring for each other, encouraging and exhorting each other, and being there for each other. In the second part of verse 22, he uses a different word for love, agape, which is godly love. And this kind of love is sacrificial. It is unconditional. It is pictured for us at the cross. Peter also uses the word earnestly to describe our love. Other translations use the words deeply or fervently. It indicates perseverance or constancy. You can, you can tell the rich, the rich image he's trying to paint here of love. 
And further, this love is to be, quote, from a pure heart. I think it's very possible to love, or at least appear to love, from an impure heart, for self-gain, to look good to others, to manipulate. In contrast, a pure heart loves for the sheer benefit of the person who is the object of our love. Now, these are some of the positive elements of love that we're to have for fellow Christians. That's verse 122. In one, Peter goes on to further define this love by listing some negative characteristics that are incongruent with the kind of love he's talking about. He lists the following, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And loving one another with brotherly, godly love involves putting away these types of attitudes and actions. Malice is ill will toward another. We're instead to wish for and even work for the good of others. Deceit destroys trust and is antithetical to the truth in which we have believed. Earlier, Peter said to love from the heart with sincerity, thus we are to put off hypocrisy, which is pretending to love while inwardly harboring bitterness, hate, unforgiveness, or harboring envy, which is which selfishly desires that which another has and even wishes that they might lose it. And finally, he lists slander, which is malicious speech. Now, we tend to think of, of slander in terms of spreading falsehoods, but really it is broader than that. It, is, it also includes disparaging others, even if what we say is true. Notice that we are not to tolerate these things, even a little bit. He says all three times. And this word translated put away was used to describe taking off filthy garments. There is no room for these attitudes or these actions in this new life of love that has arisen from our imperishable rebirth. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to draw application from this part of the passage. Fairly obvious. However, I want to challenge you this morning to get specific. Because let's face it, it's very easy to speak in generalities. Yes, I'm going to show more brotherly love. Kumbaya. Well, okay. But how? And to whom? How can you make Peter's command to brotherly, sincere, earnest, pure, godly love concrete? this week, perhaps to a specific person. Then there's the putting off part. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. I confess, as I considered that list of, of, of things, I was convicted. How about you? In repentance, let's, let's strip them off like the filthy rags that they are. And let's ask God to empower us to put on their opposites in line with our new birth. Love each other with pure, brotherly sincerity. Now, we've been talking about putting aside malice and the like in the context of the command to love from verse 20, from verse 22. ESV states, chapter 2, verse 1, is a command put away. This is a legitimate translation because there is imperatival force here. However, in the original, this phrase in 2, 1 is actually connected to the main command, which is found in 2.2. It supports it. It modifies it. And this second command, which again, I remind us, flows from that central portion, 23 to 25, 
The second command, found in verse 2-2, can be stated like this. Long for what will nourish you into spiritual growth. Long for what will nourish you into spiritual growth. The text says this. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. So, the question arises, what is the relationship between putting off malice and its associated things and, and this command to long for spiritual milk? Well, I think there's a clue in the rest of verse 2 where Peter states the goal of the command to long for spiritual milk. He says that by it, you may grow up into salvation. So, whatever this longing looks like, and whatever its object, the goal for Peter is spiritual growth. Now we've seen in 1 Peter that our salvation is both present and future. We possess it, but not fully yet. And so Peter is urging his readers regarding their salvation, grow up into it. Again, to become what they already are. It's like for many of you when you go clothes shopping for your children at the beginning of the school year. I bet many of you buy clothes for your child that are probably too big for August. They're kind of swimming in them. But by May, you expect them to have grown up into the clothes so that they fit properly. Well, we have got this new set of clothes called salvation, and the goal is to grow up into it so that our body, our soul, really, matches the clothes. Now, since that, the growing up, is the goal of the command to long for, and since Peter links malice and the rest to that command, we can make this conclusion, I think. Malice and the rest, they are hindrances to growth in this new life. If our relationships are marked by these things, our growth will be stunted. And this is true even if at the same time we are, we are in fact longing for and receiving what causes new growth in us. For example, a plant can get all the proper nourishment from the soil and the rain and the sun, but if there's an insect infestation or fungi, that plant's not gonna grow. Unloving, and action, me, unloving attitudes and actions will stunt, prevent our growing up into salvation. It's safe to say that the converse is also true. I would say that living out verse 22's command to love in a brotherly way, that will actually feed our growth. It will nourish our growth. Well, now that we've explored the connection between verses 1 and 2, and I realize I was a little bit technical, grammarish, but I think it's important. But now let's look at the command in verse 2 more closely. Like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Again, this, I think this is a pretty easy uh, word picture for us to get grasp our minds around. Newborn babies naturally and incessantly long for their mother's milk, and they instinctually seek it out. It is necessary to life and to growth. And Peter says that Christians should be like newborn babies in their longing, or craving, as an Ivy says, for spiritual milk, which will in turn cause them to flourish and to grow spiritually into this life that they've been born into. Well, what, what's the deal with milk? What, what's he trying to convey here? What is it? Some interpreters say that it is God's word. And I think this idea flows very naturally from the discussion of the word that we've seen already in verses 23 to 25 of chapter 1. 
fact, one translation, at least one, New American Standard, translates this phrase, long for the pure milk of the word. I think this is a, a legitimate interpretation and application because we are indeed nourished into maturity by reading, studying, discussing, meditating, meditating on, memorizing, and hearing God's word. Other places in scripture make this plain. For just one of many examples, Psalm 1 makes a very clear connection between God's word and, and, and spiritual flourishing. And so, a valid application here is that as God's children, who have been reborn to imperishable life by the word, we ought to naturally, eagerly, incessantly long for the word and its nourishing, its ongoing nourishment. And we ought to act on that longing. Yet if we're honest, we have to admit that we often don't long for the world. And we often don't act as if it is so crucial and critical. So as we reflect on this this week, we might want to ask ourselves, what, what things keep us from, from craving the word or from acting on that craving? Long for the word. That is true, but I think there's more going on here as well. As I mentioned New American Standard, Milk of the Word. ESB, which I read from, means pure spiritual milk. And the Greek word that is used, translated here as spiritual, does not mean word, although it's related to it. Instead, it means being reasonable or rational or being genuine to the true nature of something. There is only one other time in the New Testament, it's in Romans 12, where Paul says that giving our whole lives as sacrifices, which is a pretty radical statement, that's actually reasonable and right worship, given God's mercy, which he spent the past 11 chapters in Romans describing. This makes sense. So here, Peter is saying, long for milk that is reasonable, given your new nature or which, is, which corresponds to this new reality. Now the Bible, as I've said, is certainly part of that, but I think the idea goes beyond. For instance, John Calvin believed that milk here referred to the new way of life itself. I've already suggested to us that, that loving in the way is, that's commanded nourishes our love. Other people identify milk with divine grace, and we could also include means beyond scripture that God uses to impart that grace. Things like communion, prayer, corporate worship, fellowship, and other spiritual disciplines. We, we might maybe kind of wrap around this whole concept as a, as a general statement. Things of God. Things of God. And I think the answer to all of these options is a resounding yes. However, there's more. But wait, there's more. Because there's a further clue right here in the passage. Look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's quoting Psalm 34. And let me suggest that the Lord himself is the pure milk, the pure spiritual milk, which we're to long for. Because after all, what, what is at the heart of Christianity? It is a relationship with God and Christ. And this image of the Lord Jesus as nourishment is not unique to this passage. Again, just to cite one example, Jesus himself said in John 6, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Peter says, long for the Lord. Love the Lord. And as we feast on him, we will grow up into salvation. And he also appeals to his reader's experience. The if indeed of verse 3 is not meant to cast doubt, but to provoke thought. In other words, he's saying, you've tasted that the Lord is good, haven't you? So keep on tasting. He's the reasonable spiritual milk. He's the milk that gives that makes sense given your new birth. He's the note that corresponds to your new reality. And this is a message that we desperately need to hear and heed today. Because you and I, if we are saved, we have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's assumption applies to us as well. But, but, always a but, do we long for more and more of him? Or do we get distracted and go chasing after other things that we think will satisfy us. The sad reality in my own life, and I'm sure for many of us here, is that we so often content ourselves with a meal of watery broth and moldy, stale breadcrumbs when a rich banquet instead is set before us. That's the point of Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3, with which I'll end today's message. Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, Yahweh says, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Long for what will nourish you into spiritual growth. This, along with sincere brotherly love, these things mark the new life and the new way of life, which is called forth by new birth through the imperishable word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your imperishable word. And for by it, for, for many, if not most of us here, the gift of new and perishable life that you have brought forth from it. Lord, would you please redirect our eyes from what is temporary and passing and of little importance to what is eternal and precious. Lord, we confess that we do not love as we should, and we have some of those characteristics that Peter warns against. So we pray that you would empower us to love more and more with a brotherly, godly love. And would you help us to put off the attitudes and actions which are incompatible with it. And oh Lord, would you rekindle this morning and this week. Would you rekindle our craving for you and for what brings us to you, including your work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.